Well, we're finishing the series. Last week, I think, was one of the most significant messages of the series because we talked about the scale, negative six to positive four. And our job is just to help people through the spiritual scale. You know, we're not trying to close the deal. We're not trying to move people four steps overnight. We're just trying to get them from like negative six to negative five or negative four to negative three. Uh, and it takes all the pressure off. You know, Paul says some people water, some people plant, but it's God that causes the growth. We didn't die on the cross. We can't get anybody saved. We're just supposed to help people take the next step in their spiritual journey. And one of the prayer cards that came in uh, last week was awesome. This is one of our youth leaders in our church. She said, pray for my neighbor. She's at negative four and I want to help her take the next step. And I thought that is awesome that she's already just looking at the people around her and trying to figure out where they're at and just help them take that that next. We're not trying to close the deal. We're just trying to get them to the very next step in their journey. So if you missed last week, I can't encourage you enough to listen to last week and kind of kind of check that out and learn the scale because it'll take the fear out of evangelism. Because we all have these warped ideas of evangelism. You know, these guys on street corners with megaphones yelling at everyone. That's not what evangelism is. Evangelism is being very patient, very loving, and just helping people take the next step in their spiritual journey. And that's what we talked about last week. Because Second Corinthians 5 verse 20 says, We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. What that means is God is not making his appeal to your neighbors directly. He's making his appeal to your neighbors through you. God wants to use you to reach your neighbors. He wants to use you to reach your coworkers. He wants to use you to reach your family. God's plan is you and there is no plan B. You're it. And so what I want to do today is I want to ask a very simple question and kind of leave you with some inspiration to this series. Uh, uh, just, just to kind of inspire you as we close this series to really go out and change your world. And so the question is simply this. Can one person make a difference? Can one person make a difference? Because I don't know about you, but there's times where I'm watching the news and I'm, I'm looking at you know the news websites online and newspapers And I tend to feel overwhelmed. I mean, you look at what's going on in the world today. You look at all the problems. You look at, you know, the typhoon in the Philippines and the conflicts in the Middle East and, you know, the gang crime and just the violence that seems like it's growing in America today. And you look at these six billion people moving around planet Earth and all the issues and drama and problems. And then you look at you. And and, and you ask yourself, can I, as one person, just a blip on this planet, Really make a difference with my life. I mean, can I really change the what can I can I can I make any difference at all with everything going on in the world? Can I really make a difference? And I don't know about you, but there's times I felt overwhelmed as I watch the news and I see everything that's going on around the world and really ask myself, do I really matter? I mean, am I really affecting anything at all? Am I really making a difference with the life that God has given me? And I believe the answer is yes. All of us can make a difference. I want to show you that out of Scripture today and then leave you with a couple practical principles of how you can change your world. So let me set up the story. We're going to look at Numbers chapter 16. It's an obscure story uh, in the Old Testament. Let me just say, 
Stories like this, there's a lot of skeptics and atheists that will use a story like this to judge God and bash God at first glance. And if you look at it at first glance and you really don't study the depth of the story and the meaning of the story and really understand what's taking place, you can make some false assumptions about God. But just I don't have time to teach it today or really go into it in depth on on, on defending those arguments. But just know no innocent people were hurt in the making of this story. Um, you, you don't unfairly judge God because of stories like this in the Bible. You need to really get to the root and understand what's going on to make a good uh, assumption about what actually is happening here. But I'm just going to I'm just going to go through the story and show you a couple things out of here today that apply to us today. Numbers chapter 16, verse 41. The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled and complained against Moses and Aaron. You've killed the Lord's people, they said. But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. So what just happened is Korah led a rebellion. Korah was, uh, uh, he was a descendant of the Levites. He was a Kohathite just like Moses was. And he led this rebellion and, and the earth opened up and swallowed 250 of them. And so the people are blaming Moses and Aaron saying it's your fault. Like Moses can control the earth, but they're saying it's your fault. You got these people killed. And now all these people are, are, are wanting to kill Moses and Aaron and remove them from leadership. They don't like Moses and Aaron leadership. They don't like the way they're handling things. They're grumbling against God. They're grumbling against. And I don't know why the Israelites did this, but it seemed like for 40 years, they made a habit out of complaining. I mean, they were just, I mean, God opened up the Red Sea, this massive body of water. They walked across on dry ground and that just wasn't enough for them. I mean, they just like a week later forgot all about it and complaining about something else. And it was like a a, a habitual pattern of just complaining and grumbling. And here we find it again. It goes on to say, then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of the meeting and the Lord said to Moses, get away from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. And Moses and Aaron fell face down. Then Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it along with burning coals from the altar, fire from the altar and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people. But Aaron offered the incense or the fire and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died from the plague in addition to those who had died because of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance to the tent of the meeting for the plague had stopped. Aaron goes to the altar. He gets the fire. From the altar, the coals, the incense. And the Bible says Aaron stands between the living and the dead. And where he stood, death stopped. But at this point, 14,700 people are dead. And I don't know your frame of reference on death. I know some of you have probably experienced it up close. Some of you uh, probably, you know, experiencing it now with loved ones. Uh, What I've learned about living in North County, we can kind of control it. You know, we can we can see as much as we want to see and we can feel as much as we want to feel. And when we've seen enough and we felt enough, we can simply turn the channel on the television or flip to the next story uh, on the website and we can just kind of control it. So it's hard sometimes to grasp what's going on here. But there's fourteen thousand seven hundred people dead everywhere. I mean, just just bodies on the ground all around. And Moses stands as the plague is spreading, stands and where he stands, the death stops. So you've got to you've got to understand what's going because it sounds a lot to me like some parts of the world that we live in today. I mean, you turn on the news and you see 
you know, 3,000 people dead from this and 2,000 people dead from this and in natural disasters and hurricanes and typhoons and and, and tsunamis and all these different things and wars and conflicts. And, 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 and sometimes we don't really feel what's going on here. Uh, I remember a number of years ago when I was in Los Angeles working at the Dream Center. I was in my office on a Saturday night. I was getting some things done for my pastor for Sunday morning. And I heard a gunshot at the window. And I ran to the window. And right on the sidewalk on our church property, there was a guy in our church who just got a citizenship to the U.S., was having dinner at his mother's house to celebrate, had his four-year-old daughter in his arms. And he was walking home. And a kid on a gang initiation pulled up and shot him five times in the face at point-blank range, killing him. And we had to take care of the girl until the police and the paramedics showed up. See, for, for some people, death is not something you can control. It's not something that you can turn on and off, but you live in it and you experience it. And when you live in that state, there's a heightened sense of urgency about your mission, about your call, about your responsibility. And I think for some of us, we, we don't have that heightened sense. And so we really don't have a lot of passion to go out and make a difference in the world we live in because it's not real to us. And what I hope today to do is help you understand how real your mission really is. Because in this story, this had never happened before. I mean, where does Aaron learn to do this? Where did, where did Moses, how did they know what to do? This had never happened before. They were simply doing what they knew to do. They knew they could go to the altar of God. They could get God's fire and they could go do something. What are they going to do when they get there? Well, they don't really know. It doesn't matter. The, the, the issue is you don't figure it out first. You go do something. You go make a difference in someone's life. So I want to point out a couple things out of this story. In your notes, uh, the first thing I want to say is God always uses the unlikely. God always uses the unlikely. It's the old cliche. Uh, and it's so true. God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the call. If God calls you to do something, you don't need the abilities to do it because God will give you the ability to do it. I mean, in this story, the, the funny thing about this story is Moses says to Aaron, Aaron, run to the altar. Now, at this point of Aaron's life, he's over a hundred years old. He's not running anywhere. I mean, can you can you see it? He's like, OK, I'll hurry. I mean, people are dying and he's. You know, it's amazing what you can do when you don't think you can. When you're not trained, when you're not capable, when you're not prepared, when you don't have all the talents and abilities and skills and education and money. It's amazing what you can really do in life when you don't believe you can. I mean, I, I'm unlikely. I spent 16 years in the inner city of Los Angeles working with drug addicts and gang members and homeless people. And then God plants me in North County of all places. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. You want to talk about somebody who feels unlikely, unqualified, unprepared. I don't have any, uh, you know, anything in my past that qualifies me to pastor in North County. I mean, it's just so funny. God's sense of humor sometimes on using the unlikely people to do things. I love Acts chapter 2. It's a great story. In verse 14, it says, Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. So Peter's stepping forward. He's going to preach. There's fifteen to 20,000 people. Uh, the estimate is standing there that day in the crowd. And then verse 41, Peter's done preaching. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Now, I want you to think about this story for j just a couple minutes. Here's Peter, can, can you, can you, um, th this is the most significant sermon ever preached in the history of the church of Jesus Christ. 
I mean, this, this message started, founded the entire church that we're in today. It all began through that message. That's where the church was born, during that message. So this is the most significant uh, conference, meeting, sermon, message ever preached in the history of who we are today. Can you imagine the committee meeting that day? Who are we going to nominate to preach this significant, amazing message to all of these people? And somebody says, well, I think we should have Dr. Peter speak today. Every single one of you would have lost your mind. You're crazy. I mean, 50 days ago, this guy is denying that he even knows Jesus to a little girl. He's got a cussing problem. He cuts people's ears off. There is no way. Will ever they, you let him preach? He'll mess it all up. I mean, you want to mess it up? Let Peter preach. He'll 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 ruin everything if you let him open his mouth. And yet, who did God choose and God use that day in Acts chapter two? He used the unlikely apostle that betrayed Christ, who had all sorts of issues and problems in his life. God always uses the unlikely. So it doesn't matter how unlikely you feel for what you feel like God's calling you to. You don't need the qualifications. You don't need the abilities. You don't need the education. You don't need the experience. You don't even need the money. All you need is a willingness to say, God, use me. Use my life. Second thing I'm going to say about this story in your notes is there are things only you can do. There are things in this life only you can do. I don't know if you know your Old Testament history, but Aaron was the only person that could go. He was the high priest. He was the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies. If anyone else would have gone, they would have died entering into the Holy of Holies. Aaron was the only person. So if Aaron didn't do it, they would have all died. They would have all died. He was the only person that could go. And I am convinced today that there are things in life only you can do. People only you can reach. And if you don't go, it won't happen. And you need to understand the eternal significance of our life. Your life matters to eternity. It's heaven or hell. There's eternal differences to be made. And you have a mission and there are things only you can do. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says, I knew you. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. This means before your grandparents ever had a twinkle in their eye, God knew you had a plan for your life and strategically created you to accomplish a certain mission on earth. You are not an accident. See, I think so many people think that when they get saved, God has to find them something to do to keep them busy. There's nothing further from the truth. God did not create a purpose for you. God created you for a purpose. He strategically designed you exactly the way he wanted to make you to accomplish a person, a purpose he had in mind for you years before your grandparents ever met. That's how strategic and by design your life is. There are things only you can do. And, and, and let me say, it's going to take me everything in my life to accomplish the mission God's given me. It's going to take me every ounce of energy I have to accomplish the, the life and the mission God's given me, which means I don't have anything left over to help you accomplish yours. 
See, only you can do it. There's a mission in life that only each one of you can do. And I think one of the reasons many of us aren't passionate about our life mission is because by and large, many people in the church today, especially here in America, don't really believe in the reality of hell. They they don't believe it's a reality. And I don't know where we got that from. And I know today it's not politically correct to talk about hell in church and you're not. But you need to understand our Lord and Savior to deny the existence of hell is to deny Jesus Christ himself because Jesus spoke more of it than anyone else. He called it a place of eternal flame, eternal torment. He described it in very graphic, real terms. Why? Because he knew What he was about to go through to prevent you from ever having to experience that place. And he was willing to do whatever it took to rescue you and save you. But I think many people today don't really understand or believe the reality of it. And that's why many of us aren't really passionate about our call. Because how would you live differently if you really believe the person who lives next door to you will spend an eternity separated from God in a Christless place called hell if they don't know Jesus Christ? How would you live differently with your neighbors? If you truly believe that to be a reality. See, when I first became a Christian, I used to love listening to this old Baptist preacher, Jack Hiles. He was he was mean as you could get. And I had to you know throw away half of what he said because he's an old school Baptist pastor. But he had some great points every once in a while that I really did really challenged me. And one of the things I loved about him with all the things that I didn't like about him. One of the things I loved about him is he was a fanatic about bringing people to Christ. I mean, I'm very passionate about, you know, bringing people to Christ. But this guy was a fanatic. I mean, when they hired a church secretary, they didn't ask how many words do you type. They said, how many people are you bringing to Christ? If you're bringing people to Christ, we'll teach you how to type. I mean, they hired the janitor. It wasn't how well do you clean bathrooms. It was how many people are you bringing to Christ? If you're bringing people to Christ, we'll teach you how to clean a bathroom. I mean, he was just fanatic about it. And at a pastor's conference once, they asked him, why are you so crazy about bringing people to Christ? I mean, you, your passion goes way beyond the normal person's passion to bring people to Christ. And he told this story. He said, years ago, my sister and I were staying in a home together after uh, our parents had passed away. We were in our 20s. And in the middle of the night, I woke up and I heard my sister screaming and crying. And just it was the most blood curling shriek that I've ever heard. He said, I ran down to my sister's room to see what was going on. And when I got there, she looked at me and she said, Jack, I just got back from hell. And he said, no, that's that's not possible. That's not theologically correct. You couldn't have gone to hell. And she said, listen to me. She said, when I when I when I came into my room and I sat down on the bed, I found myself in a vision and I was walking down this tunnel. And she said it was the most sick place I've ever been. I mean, my stomach curled. The stench was unbearable. It was just the most creepy, eerie place. And she said, when I came to the end of the tunnel, there was a gate. And on the other side of the gate, there were thousands and thousands of people just in agony. They were screaming. They were crying. They were just in absolute agony. They were, they were gasping for air. They were, they were begging for just a drop of water. And so she said, I found the gatekeeper. And I said, sir... Won't you just 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 at least give them just a drop of water? And the gatekeeper said to me, no, there's no water in hell. She said, well, just give them some air, just just a little bit of air. And the gatekeeper said, no, there's no air in hell. And she said, well, then at least just let them die. And he said, no, there's no death in hell. And then she said, well, for how long? How long must they endure like this? And the gatekeeper said, forever and ever and ever. 
And she said, as I turned to leave that place, she said, I took one last look and she said, I saw our dad. Our dad's in hell, Jack. See, their dad died an alcoholic. He completely rejected Christ, wanted nothing to do with him. And so this old Baptist preacher said, you know, I'm going to win as many people to Christ as I possibly can with my life because I don't want to see any more boys' daddies wind up in hell. See, I think some of us need to understand the reality. Now, our message isn't a message on hell. We don't win people to Christ by scaring them with hell. That's, that's not what this is about. This is for us to understand how powerful our calling is and how much it matters and how much it means when we preach to the lost when we when we when we reach people that don't know christ we want to share the love of god the goodness of god it's the goodness of god that draws people to christ but we as believers and followers of christ need to understand the seriousness and the importance of our mission and our calling on earth that these are realities that we have to deal with and wrestle with So let me give you two change your world principles as we leave today. The first thing, when you read this story, the first thing that Aaron did first is get the fire of God. Get the fire of God. The first thing Aaron did is he went to the altar and he got God's fire. He got the incense. He got the coals. He got the fire of God before he went and did anything. And here's the truth. There's a lot of people who try to go do something without God's fire. Without God's power, without God's life in them. They, they, they want to do something, they're just not effective at doing it because they haven't first encountered God and really received God's fire and power in their life. Now, what in the world does this mean? Because I know you, you hear terms like this in the church, and many times pastors just assume, you know, people really understand. And, and this does sound a little bit crazy if you've never been in church before. What does this mean? Well, first off, an altar is simply a place that you meet God. That, that's, that's the definition of an altar. It's, it's a place where you meet God. So this is what I'm encouraging you to do. Wherever your altar is, wh- where do you meet God? Is it your prayer closet at home? Is it your living room? Is it your backyard? Is it on the beach? Is it at a prayer meeting at church? Where is your altar? Where's the place you go to meet God? Go there and get his fire. What is his fire? This is hard because you logically can't explain this to people. It's something that you experience. You either know you got it or you, you know whether you're trying to serve God and you just don't feel any power. You don't feel any fire. You don't feel any life coming out of you. And you know when you do. And, and, and I can't really, you know, I'm not here to judge. You got it. You don't got it. You'll know. You just ask the Holy Spirit. You'll know whether you're moving in the fire and the power of God or whether you're not. Uh, the way I like to describe it is the way D.L. Moody described it. D.L. Moody was a famous uh, uh, pastor, evangelist, worked for years in Chicago, built Moody Bible Institute, was the, one of the founders of Viola in Los Angeles through some of his staff and just, just an amazing guy. And he was in ministry... You know, for and he was just struggling because he just didn't feel any effectiveness. You know, he was he was passionate about serving God, but he wasn't effective. People's lives weren't changing. It wasn't making a difference. And he went to his altar, went to his prayer closet. and He just said, God, I can't do this anymore. I don't have any power. I don't have any fire. Nothing's happening. I, I want to serve you, but I'm not seeing a change or a difference made in people's life. And this is the way he described it. He said, I felt like waves of liquid love coming over me. 
And he goes, from that moment on, I knew something had changed inside of me. Something was different. And when I began to minister from that point on, when I would share with people on the street or share with people, things happened. People changed. People were compelled to God when I moved out. So I want to encourage you first, get the fire of God in your life. Go to your altar. Where is the place where you meet with God, where you let his power and his life and his fire just consume you so that when you go, things happen. I love the way Jeremiah says it in Jeremiah 20. He says, but if, if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I just can't do it. He says, I can't keep this in. It's burning inside of me. It's just exploding out of me. And there's people that when, when, when you know, they, they, there's a difference you feel in your life when you're moving with the power in the life of God. So I encourage you, go to your altar, go to, go to that place where, where you meet with God and just say, God, uh, if, if I'm missing something, give it to me now because I want to be effective for you. That was the first thing Aaron did. And number two, second, go do something. I know it's simple, but go do something. What? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Just go. God will help you figure it out when you get there. Aaron didn't know what to do. That never happened before. Aaron just did what he knew to do. He just went. He got the fire from God and he went and he stood between the living and the dead and believed that where he stood, death would stop. Sometimes the only thing we can do is make a stand. Sometimes that's the only thing we need to know is stand because you've got somebody you're working with on the verge of suicide, on the verge of, of a marriage falling apart, depression. People are dying right now all around you, dying spiritually, dying emotionally, dying physically. And sometimes the only thing you can do is go and make a stand in their life and let the love of God and the power of God and the fire of God inside you begin to consume everybody around you and change their heart and change their life and really make a difference but you've got to go i love isaiah when isaiah encounters the fire of god in isaiah chapter 6 it says then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal of fire he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs he touched my lips with it and said see this coal or this fire has touched your lips now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven let me just say something about that one of the, the number one responsibilities of the Holy Spirit in your life, uh, according to John, is to convict you of your righteousness. See, when the power of God comes into you and when the fire of God really comes in you and you encounter God in that, that special way, when you read about it, like when you read D.L. Moody describing the waves of liquid love, one of the first things that happened was this conviction of righteousness, that I am right with God, that my sin has been removed, that I'm standing perfect in God's sight because it's your righteousness that gives you authority and your righteousness doesn't come from your moral behavior or your moral performance. Your righteousness comes from what Jesus Christ did on the cross but let's be honest many of us struggle with that many of us maybe we know intellectually that jesus died for us and paid for our sin but we still feel like we've got to pay it off we still feel like we need to work hard and see one of the things that the fire of god the power of god you know however you describe it here when you really encounter that at your altar one of the things that happens is the holy spirit convicts you of your righteousness that you are right with god by the blood of jesus christ that you are perfect in the sight of god now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven 
Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah said, I'll go do something. And if you read the rest of Isaiah, he did. He did. He went and made a stand for God with the rest of his life. He made a stand. He got the fire of God. He encountered God, the presence of God. And then he went and he changed the world that he lived in. He made a stand for God. And that's why we named this series Change Your World, Not Change the World. Because it's not about trying to change the world. It's about changing the world you live in. It's about making a difference to the people right around you. So I'll close the series with this story. It's one of my favorite stories. I read it years ago. Uh, every, every number of years in Hawaii, there's this massive storm that hits the beaches of Hawaii. And they say thousands of starfish are washed up along the, uh, the beaches and, and literally are stranded. And they suffocate and they die if they can't get back out into the ocean. And, it, and it's a famous story of these starfishes that are just stranded and they just suffocate and they die, you know, on, on the sand and on the beach, not being able to, to get back out. And there was a college professor on vacation one year with his family and he got up one morning and he's walking along the beach and in the distance he sees a little boy. And this little boy was picking up starfish one by one and throwing them into the ocean, saving their life. And the professor thought, this is absolutely pointless. I mean, there are literally thousands of these, as far as you can see, does this one boy really believe he can make a difference? I mean, he's not even going to make a dent into this thing. I mean, there's thousands of these starfish and just one of him. And so he walked slowly along the beach as the boy one by one would pick up starfish and throw them out into the ocean. He came to this kid and he said, kid, what are you doing? There's thousands of starfish. There's just one of you. Do you really believe you can make a difference? And the boy didn't know what to say. And he looked at the professor. He looked back down at the starfish. He reached down. He picked one up and he threw it as far as he could throw it. And he said, sir, I just made a difference to that one starfish. I just made a difference to that one starfish. God's not asking you to change everyone. God's asking you to make a difference to that one person to change your world. So I started the message by asking a simple question. Can one person really make a difference? And I think we know the answer. Absolutely. Yes. But here's a more important question. I want to leave you with today. Do you want to be that person? Think about that for a moment. Do you want to be that person that makes a difference? Do you want God to use you to make a difference in the life of somebody else. Would you close your eyes with me? As we leave today, I just want to give an opportunity for anybody here today that needs that difference made in their life today. Like you're here today and you're checking out Christianity, you're checking out church, you're fairly new to this whole thing, and something inside of your heart is burning and you know you're not right with God. You know you're not in a healthy relationship with God right now. You haven't surrendered your life to him completely. And this is what you need to know about God. If God is not first place in your life, like, like, like if, you, if God's not first place on your list, he's not on your list. God can't be second place or third place or fourth place on your list. 
He's first. You wouldn't want to serve a God that allowed himself to take third place in your life. You wouldn't want that. You want a God who's first because that's a God with power and life and love and promise for you. And so you know today whether God's first on your list or if he's not. You know where your heart is today. And before we leave, I want to give you an opportunity to say a very simple prayer with me of putting God first in your life. Now, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. You can say this prayer in your heart. God will hear it. But it's just a way for you to respond today and say, you know what? I need to make a decision to put God first. I need to get my life right with God and and settle the affairs of my soul and my eternity. So if that's you today with with nobody looking around with every eye closed, if you want to join me in a very simple prayer today, would you just slip up your hand? Say, you know what? I need to join you today. I need to say that prayer with you. Would you slip up your hand right now? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. The prayer is simple. The first part of the prayer is you have to say yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ, the Son. And so today I want you to invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Say, Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. So in your own words, would you just pray that right now? The second part of the prayer is forgiveness. Every single one of us have made mistakes and messed up in our life. All of us need the grace of God. And he will absolutely forgive you, but you have to ask. You have to ask. So will you right now just say to God, God, will you forgive me completely for every mistake I've ever made? And then the last part of the prayer is, is, is gratefulness. I just want you to say thank you to God today for saving you. Just say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Now you can look up for a moment. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to take a couple steps on your own. One, on your connection card, there's two boxes. One says, I'm committing my life to Christ. One says, I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. We want to know if you made that decision today, if you prayed with us so that we can we, we can celebrate with you. We can pray for you. We can support you as a, as a family support system to really walk out the decision you made. Uh, we just want to know about it. It encourages us to know that people are responding and changing their life through what's happening here every week. Our dream team, it's, it's great for them to hear about all the reports of lives that are changed. There's also books outside that say, now what? It's a very short book. It's a great question. What do I do next? I just put God first in my life. Now what? If you pick up a copy, it'll walk you through the next steps. We also have Bibles available outside. If you don't have a hard copy of the Bible, I can't encourage you enough to please take a Bible. It's our gift to you. We love to give away Bibles. It's the greatest book you'll ever read. It will change your life. And lastly, if you prayed that prayer today, show up at two o'clock and be baptized. Uh, You don't have to go through a class to be baptized. You don't have to take five weeks to be baptized. You can in the Bible, in the book of Acts, Philip was 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 witnessing to an Ethiopian. They're in a chariot. He gets saved. They see a a little puddle of water on the side of the road. He said, why can't I be baptized right here? They pulled over right then and got baptized. If you prayed that prayer, 
be baptized today. Go to the website, get the address, show up at two o'clock. We'd love you to join us in the celebration of baptism today. It'll, it'll change your life. Stand with me as we close. Father, we thank you for this series. We thank you for the encouragement, God, to really make a difference in the world that we live in, God. To change our, not, not, not feel the pressure of trying to change the world, but to change our world. Use the influence, God, that you've given us. You've all given us different degrees of influence. Lord, let us use them faithfully. Give us discernment and wisdom on how to use those strategically for you. Not what we think, God, but let you lead us and guide us with your wisdom and discernment to reach the people around us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Have a great week. And remember, next Sunday is at the movies. We'll have popcorn, candy, Cokes. It's a great time to bring a friend.